You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. The February 28th Peace Memorial Day, also a national holiday in Taiwan, is just around the corner. It commemorates the 228 incident. My guest on today's episode is author Jennifer Chow. I'll be speaking with her about her books, The 228 Legacy, a novel which was inspired by 228, and her upcoming novel, Mimi Lee Gets a Clue. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, since uh, February 28th is a important day in Taiwan and it's coming up, and I do know that you have a book called The 228 Legacy out there, I thought it would be a good time to interview you about this. Could you tell me a little bit about what is the 228 incident and how does that relate to your book, The 228 Legacy? The 228 incident, it comes from the date, 228 or February 28th, 1947, in Taiwan. This is a period of time when Taiwan had just gone through 50 years of Japanese rule and it was uh, handed over to Chinese control. So when the leadership came over, the Kuomintang, or the KMT, they took over, uh, it wasn't a smooth transition. There was a lot of economic mismanagement and corruption and uh, really unrest among the people in Taiwan. So there was pushback from the Taiwanese, especially after there was um, some violence around the incident against this widow on February 27th. So then the next day, uh, when the protesters gathered, there were soldiers who opened fire on the crowd. So pretty soon there was um, martial law that was imposed in Taiwan and then there was a whole era called the White Terror period where people were imprisoned or they went missing or they died. So my novel, The 228 Legacy, really talks about a family that's affected by this um, time period in Taiwan. And it's three generations in the family, in a Taiwanese-American family. And it just talks about how this incident and everything that happened after it affected them and how it influenced their relationships with one another. Great, thank you. And um, when did you first learn about 228? So I'm actually ethnically, I'm Chinese, but I married into a Taiwanese family. So it was my in-laws who actually introduced me um, to the massacre and, and 228. They, they're pretty vocal about their beliefs and they actually participated in 2004 there was a hand in hand rally in Taiwan mm -hmm. so there was a human chain that went the length of Taiwan and just to commemorate 228 and to, to promote peace there oh great yeah I do remember that I was living in Taiwan at the time and I think I I did participate in that as well great um what so what um, personal significance does it have for you or maybe more accurately, you should say, does it have for your family? Like, um, did they tell you about um, how it impacted them, or did they have any direct experience? Did anybody um, in your in-laws' family, were they personally affected by the February 28th incident? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I guess I would say for me, I think it gave me more, more understanding because I had always heard about, you know, sort of a little bit the tumultuous relationship between Taiwan and China. And I didn't 
quite understand it fully, I think, until I talked to my in-laws um, and then I learned about Tatuate and just sort of like the background history behind the tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then for my in-laws, I feel like they grew up, uh, they're pretty young when it happened. Mm-hmm. So they weren't, but they had, you know, siblings and stuff that were affected. But um, for them, it was just kind of this aura of things that you couldn't talk about. It was all very uh, put away and hidden. Mm-hmm. So they actually didn't get to talk about it until they they both came, they immigrated to America mm-hmm. uh, separately. And then it was only when they got to the U.S. that they were able to actually openly discuss these things and talk to other people about it. Uh, back in Taiwan, it wasn't it wasn't in the history books, you know, it wasn't talked about openly. Nobody would answer questions about it. And then on the kind of like a smaller note, whenever they would try to speak in Taiwanese outside of the home, people shushed them and, you know, it was just kind of... Um, kept in the family would only be able to speak um, in Mandarin. Right, right. And we're t- and I don't remember if you mentioned this, but we're talking 1947. That's when the incident happened. And uh, we've definitely come a long way. Now February 20th is actually a national holiday in Taiwan. So I think it's important for people to understand, like, you know, the story behind that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, how much of your book is based on uh, real life experiences of your relatives? Uh, I think a lot of it's fictionalized. The, this family that I described isn't really the typical Taiwanese American uh, immigrant story where there's a lot of education, mobility that you see, mm-hmm. um, a lot of high achieving Taiwanese Americans. Uh, uh, but I deliberately kind of create a story where the grandmother, she's the one that's affected. She comes over and she has to kind of live through these hard circumstances because I wanted to create a situation where she's um, shut away her her past experiences and doesn't tell them to the younger generations. And I'm trying to highlight how that affects them emotionally across different generations. Um, I did try to weave in a lot of the the fear. Um, and some of the feelings of, of trauma that I heard from relatives, but it's not like a specific um, instances that I took from their lives, but more just sort of their kind of emotional feeling and kind of how how did they get through it and, and what were their um, just kind of that aura of, of secrecy and kind of being unable to kind of share their stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it specifically about the Tutu incident that motivated you to write a book or to think about writing something around this theme? Mm-hmm. Well, I just thought it was a huge, um, it was a huge shock to me, really, not to really learn about this um, at all growing mm-hmm. up. And uh, I've been to Taiwan a couple times and, and just being able to see kind of the monuments and um, talking to people more like it's this idea that you know for decades you know that there was this time period that nobody talked about and it wasn't in the in the books I think that was what really motivated me to uh, feel like you know at least I want people to get a glimpse of this or to understand um, what happened and to remember it right right 
Yeah, and that being said, uh, what kind of research did you have to do for the book, um, since there isn't that much written about it or documented? Yeah, well, thank um, thank goodness that there is more now. So um, I was able to go to some museums and monuments, like I said, when I visited Taiwan. Definitely um, reading for most of Betrayed by George H. Kerr. That was um, an important piece that documented the history at the time. And then I just casually, I guess, when I'm talking to relatives, trying to see, you know, what their experiences were, or maybe even like stories that they heard themselves. So that kind of inf influenced and informed my writing when I was doing it. Mm -hmm. What was the most surprising thing that you learned about um, 228 when you were doing the research or preparing for the book? And actually, it it's the people I talked to in um, America mm -hmm. is, was interesting because I felt like there are some people who are very open, but I found um, like a couple, um, couple of people who, like they had experienced, the older generation had experienced something, but they actually never, they never talked about it at all mm -hmm. with their kids, like even up to this day. Mm -hmm. And it only until like, I'm sort of talking to them, um, that they kind of share something and then their kids or their grandkids were just sort of blown away that they they had lived this experience and they never actually said anything at all about it. What would you say was the most uh, challenging thing about writing this book? Um, I think I wanted to really sort of honor the Taiwanese people when I was writing the book. So I think it was about kind of um, making sure that I was able to to kind of touch that the truth about, or the emotional truth of what happened and make sure that people could um, relate to it. I think that uh, the book, my book is classified as women's fiction. So it, it doesn't have like the very specific um, kind of fine details that like a historical book would have. Uh, but I still hope that it, it informs people Right, and that people become readers become more curious, and they research more about Taiwan history, and that it it moves them to have more understanding and compassion. Right, right, and thank you for that. Um, I'd like to also talk to you about your new book. You have another book that's coming out soon, right? Called Mimi Gets a Clue. Mm -hmm. Mimi Gets a Clue. Yes. Uh, yep. Yeah. It's a mystery. Okay, yeah, so could you tell me a little bit about it? I see that it's actually the first in a series of the Sassy Cat Mystery Series, so do you have um, an idea like of how many books the series is going to be already um, or or not? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a switch because it's definitely um, a more, it's a light-hearted mystery, so it's in a genre called cozy mysteries which means that it's not super violent um and it's just sort of like very fun uh the first book Mimi Gets a Clue is set in Los Angeles it's a pet groomer she becomes a murder suspect and she has to clear her name so she gets the she has to do so with the help of her her cat her sassy cat hmm. and um this handsome lawyer neighbor that she has <laughs> 
So you're talking about it is a series. So it's um, there's going to be at least three books in the series uh, because it's a under a, I'm under a three book contract with Berkeley, okay. which is the imprint from um, Penguin Random House. So it kind of depends on how the series does before they extend the series. I see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great, and I see that you're not you're not a stranger to this because you've already written another mystery, well, cozy mystery series, Winston Wong. Right. Um, yeah, I started that series. I think the first one was published in um, 2015. So I just kind of fell into the mystery genre a little bit. Um, I had written the Two to Eight Legacy, and then I, I wrote another young adult book called Dragonfly Dreams mm-hmm. and uh, those are more has to do with like some historical time period it has family drama in it and I wanted to kind of kind of go into something a little more escapist um, and I thought it would be challenging to do a mystery because I read mysteries as a kid and I would actually read with my mom and we were big Agatha Christie fans um, so I have really good memories of doing that with her mm-hmm so I ended up kind of writing it sort of for that reason. And um, the the whole Winston series ended up actually kind of um, being a, a tribute to my mom because uh, bef- right before it came out, she, she, she ended up passing away. She had a pretty intense battle with cancer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. But I, I kind of see it as like a tribute to her, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. Um, so what is the writing process um, like for a mystery novel? I'm very curious about this. Do you already know what's going to happen at the end of the story before you start writing? Or do you just have a premise and then you start and then you see where where it ends up? Um, uh, for me, I usually have, well, I definitely have, I have the victim and I have the circle of suspects and all their motives in place and then I kind of there's a it's an organic process for me kind of to um, have the mystery unfold along as I write it uh, mysteries are pretty structured though so I definitely at the end I, I circle back and then I have to figure out okay if I put enough clues and red herrings all along to, to make it flow interesting so you've written a lot of different genres. You've written adult, YA, and cozy mystery. So how would you compare writing for all these different genres? I think there's definitely different uh, expectations for genres in terms of maybe wording or the plot structure. But actually, I find that a lot of my stories have this theme of Asian American identity in them. So I try to explore, you know, what does identity mean? Um, how does our heritage and history shape who we are and what kind of conflicts come up, you know, kind of straddling the two cultures of being Asian and being an American. Um, okay, so that, those are the themes that you write about, but do you find that there's um, like a different way that you need to approach like YA versus adult? Well, it, it's, uh, I do in that I think a lot of my adult fiction is mostly contemporary or near historical. So it's a little more modern day, uh, but a lot of my young adult work, it 
veers toward like um, like a fantastical has a fantastical element to it. So I think that I approach them differently because I I tend to do a lot of world building in young adult, mm-hmm. just creating mm-hmm. like different rules or different settings that doesn't really happen in the adult fiction that I write. Mm-hmm. And then there's also I think they're a little bit. Uh, I try to aim for kind of a, a more hopeful, <laughs> I guess, hopeful endings mm-hmm. in young adult or, or kind of like um, positive messages, right, for younger readers because I really want them to, to, to take away and have kind of like a meaningful interaction with a book and just um, be, I guess just grow up with a little more positivity, you know. And uh, what's your preference? It seems like you've, you've written a lot in the cozy mystery genre. Is Do you think you're going to be continuing with that, or um, do you have a preferred genre? Um, I think that I, def- I enjoy doing the cozy mystery. That's a lot of fun, and then just to s- sort of, um, you know, it's kind of like making a puzzle, right? So, so that's definitely a lot of fun. I also... I mean, I still like to do um, different genres. So, young adult, like I'm, I'm working on a piece that kind of weaves in um, myths, uh, Taiwanese mythology. So, I think I like to kind of add those cultural aspects in as well, and, and sort of um, that meaning. So, I'm trying to straddle kind of both. I guess that's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. It's um, great to be able to write in a lot of, a lot of different genres. I don't think um, everybody does that, so that's great. Um, what do you do in terms of your writing routine? Do you have certain habits? Um, I like to, well, I do like to write um, on paper a lot. <laughs> so I tend to write longhand uh-huh. sometimes just for um, uh-huh. to start the creativity. And I think I flipped my schedule. I used to write at night more because it was a quiet time. I have kids and they were actually they're in bed. But then now I sort of swapped that for a morning routine where I do pages in in the morning and then the kids are in school, so it's quieter now. So I try to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you ever get writer's block? And if you do, how, how do you deal with that? <laughs> I feel like outlining really helps to to not get blocked because you have sort of the path to follow. And then uh, when I do need a break, though, I I try to get outside, you know, change the scenery. It really helps to take a walk. Um, and then I would say uh, I I wouldn't call it writer's block, but I do get writer's distraction. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> the internet and social media and everything that really can um, kind of stop your work so sometimes I have sure. to go offline and, and kind of you know restart things so that I can get back into writing yeah that's a good tip turn everything off mm-hmm. right there are some programs I know people install programs too to just like shut out all of the internet I have seen things like that like there's certain uh, word processors where it's very sparse and it makes you focus just on the words right. on the page or on the mm-hmm. screen right um, what advice would you have for people who want to write a book or who have aspirations to become an mm-hmm. author? I think I have two pieces of advice. 
One is to set long-term goals. I think it's it's better to think about your goals in terms of years and not in terms of like multiple years, not in terms of months, because it takes a lot of perseverance to get published. I know I have a few shelled stories and manuscripts in my drawer, and I think a lot of people do as well because it's it's sort of a marathon to get published. Um, and then my second piece of advice would probably be to prioritize the writing. It's, it's easy to get caught up in other things or to run errands or to have different urgent tasks that are vying for your attention. It's important to carve out that time and that space and, and to just write the words every day. And then, you know, eventually that bit by bit will add up to a manuscript. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of that advice. Um, how can people learn more about you if they'd like to know more about you, your books? Uh, I have an author website. It's at www.jenniferjchow.com. And I'm also on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My handle there is at Jen J. Chow. Okay, great. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing more work from you and your upcoming book, Mimi Lee Gets a Clue. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, anytime. Thanks so much, Felicia. I've been speaking with author Jennifer Chow. You can learn more about Jennifer by visiting her website at jenniferjchow.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to go to Apple Podcasts, rate us, and give us a review. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.